welcome to Bun Bun Storytime, a podcast where I tell stories to listeners. In today's episode, I'll continue on my Greek mythology series where I left off. Athena is about to get all maternal on a handkerchief. So join me as I hop in. Athena adopts a handkerchief. So, about a million episodes ago, I mentioned Zeus's first wife, the Titan Metis. Remember her? Neither did I. I had to go back and look. All these names, medicine, thetison, themison, feta cheese. I get a headache just trying to keep them all straight. Anyway, here's a recap. Last week, on the real gods of Olympus, Metis was pregnant with Zeus's child. She had a prophecy that the child would be a girl, but if Metis and Zeus had another child after that, it would be a boy who would grow up to take Zeus's place. Hearing this, Zeus did the natural thing. He panicked and swallowed his pregnant wife whole. Dun dun dun! What happened next? Well, immortals can't die, even when they're ingested by other immortals, so Metis gave birth to her daughter right there in Zeus's gut. Feel free to get sick now, or you can wait, but it does get worse. Metis eventually faded into pure thought, since she was the titan of deep thoughts anyway. She became nothing more than a nagging voice in the back of Zeus's mind. As for her daughter, she grew up in Zeus's body, the same way the earlier Olympians had grown up in Kronos' belly. Once the child was an adult, a small, super-compressed, very uncomfortable adult, she started looking for a way to escape into the world. None of the options seemed good. If she erupted from Zeus's mouth, everyone would laugh at her and say she had been vomited. That was undignified. If she followed Zeus's digestive tract the other way? No, that was even more gross. She was a strong, young goddess, so she might have been able to break out of Zeus's chest, but then everyone would think she was one of those monsters from the Alien movies, and again, that was not the kind of entrance she was looking for. Finally, she had an idea. She dissolved into pure thought, a little trick her mother Metis had taught her, and traveled up Zeus's spinal cord straight into his brain, where she reformed. She started kicking and hammering and screaming inside Zeus's skull, making as much racket as she could. Maybe she had a lot of room around in there, because Zeus's brain was so small. Anyone that's friends with him, please don't tell him I said that. As you can imagine, this gave Zeus a splitting headache. He couldn't sleep all night with the pounding in his skull. The next morning, he stumbled into breakfast and tried to eat, but he kept wincing, screaming, and pounding his fork on the table, screaming, Stop it! Stop it! Hera and Demeter exchanged worried looks. Uh, my husband? Hera asked. Everything okay? Ugh, I have a headache! Bad, bad headache! Zeus bellowed. As if to prove his point, the Lord of the Universe slammed his face into his pancakes. 
which demolished the pancakes and the plate and put a crack in the table, but did absolutely nothing for his headache. Aspirin, Apollo suggested. He was the god of healing. Nice cup of tea, Hestia suggested. I could split your skull open, offered Hephaestus, the blacksmith god. Hephaestus, Hera cried. Don't talk to your father that way. What? Hephaestus demanded. Clearly he's got a problem in there. I could open the hood and just take a look. Might relieve the pressure. Besides, he's immortal. It won't kill him. No thanks, Zeus grimaced. I... Suddenly red spots danced before Zeus's eyes. Pain racked his body, and a voice in his head screamed, Let me out! Let me out! Zeus fell from his chair, writhing in agony. Cut my skull, he wailed. Get it out of me! The other gods turned pale with fear. Even Apollo froze, and he had like a dozen Boy Scout badges and first aid. Hephaestus rose from his seat. Right, I'll get my all. Which was basically an industrial strength ice pick for making holes in thick surfaces like metal or, you know, god's heads. The rest of you, get Zeus on his throne and hold him down. The Olympians prepped for emergency brain surgery. They dragged Zeus to his throne and held him steady while Hephaestus retrieved his tools. The blacksmith god wasted no time. He marched up to Zeus, set the point of the awl in the middle of the god's forehead, raised his hammer, and bang. After that, they called him one-hit Hephaestus. He used enough force to penetrate the skull without turning Zeus into a god kebab. From the all point to the bridge of Zeus's nose, a fissure spread, just wide enough for Athena to squeeze her way out. She sprang from Zeus's forehead, and right in front of their eyes, grew until she was a fully formed adult goddess, dressed in gray robes and battle armor, wearing a bronze helmet and holding a spear and shield. I'm not sure where she got the outfit. Maybe Athena magically created it, or maybe Zeus ate clothing and weaponry for snacks. At any rate, the goddess made quite the entrance. Hello, everyone, she said calmly. I am Athena, goddess of warfare and wisdom. Demeter passed out. Hera looked scandalized, since her husband had just given birth to a child from his own forehead, and Hera was fairly certain Athena wasn't her daughter. Ares, the god of war, said, Hey, you can't be in charge of war, that's my job! I said warfare and wisdom, Athena explained. I'll oversee the sort of combat that requires planning, craftiness, and high intelligence. You can still be in charge of the stupid, bloody, manly man aspects of war. Oh, all right, said Ares. Then he frowned. Wait, what? Hephaestus sewed up the crack in Zeus's head. Despite the misgivings of the other gods, Zeus insisted that they welcomed his daughter Athena into their ranks. And that's how she became one of the Olympians. Like you heard, she was the goddess of wisdom, which included good advice and useful skills. She gave the Greeks the olive tree, but she also taught them about calculating numbers, weaving cloth, using oxen to pull their plows, flossing after every meal, and a bunch of other helpful tips. As the goddess of warfare, 
she was more about playing defense than offense. She didn't enjoy combat, but she knew that sometimes it was necessary. She always tried to win through good strategy and sneaky tricks. She tried to minimize casualties, whereas Ares loved violence and liked nothing better than a battlefield littered with mangled corpses. Yeah, he's a real sweetheart, that guy. Athena's sacred plant was the olive tree, since that was her big gift to the Athenians. Her sacred animals were the owl and the snake. Supposedly, the owl was a symbol of wisdom from the heavens. The snake symbolized wisdom from the earth. Apparently, the Greeks thought that when snakes exist, they're whispering important secrets. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Greek dude. Go ahead and hold that rattlesnake a little closer to your ear. I'm sure he's got something very important to tell you. Athena is easy to spot in the old Greek statues and paintings. She pretty much always wears the same thing. Her helmet is decorated with rams, horses, griffins, and sphinxes, and it has a big fancy mohawk-type plume on the top. She usually carries her shield and spear, and wears a sleeveless Spartan-style dress with a magic cloak called the Aegis draped over her shoulders. According to the legends, the cloak is lined in snakeskin and is pinned with the bronzed head of Medusa, kind of like a corsage. Sometimes you'll hear the Aegis described as the goddess's shield rather than her cloak. I guess nobody has ever looked closely enough to tell for sure which is right, because with the head of the Medusa there, well, the whole point of that thing is to make sure you run away screaming. In a lot of stories, Athena gives the Aegis to Zeus as a present. So it's technically his, but she borrows it from time to time like, Hey Dad, can I borrow the severed head of Medusa tonight? I'm going out with my friends. Okay, honey, just bring it back by midnight and make sure you don't petrify anyone. Bun Bun's Storytime is brought to you in part by Radio Public. Radio Public is free, easy to use, and helps listeners like you find and support shows like mine. When you listen to my show on Radio Public, everyone benefits. Athena has many amazing qualities, but unfortunately, humor just wasn't one of them. Like the way she dealt with Arachne, for instance. Ooh, harsh. Arachne was the most popular girl in her village of Lydia. That's in a country we now call Turkey. And what was she so popular for? Oh, pure skill. She could weave like no one's business. I know, you're thinking, wow, weaving? So exciting. But come on, you try weaving? I mean, it's hard. Have you ever looked at the fabric on your shirt up close? It's made of a million tiny threads. Millions of them going up and down, back and forth. I mean, yeah, sure, we have machines that do that, but imagine, back in the day, doing it all by hand. Arachne made even the most complicated pattern look easy. She could make you a Hawaiian shirt with pictures of flowers and frogs and coconuts woven into the fabric, and do it in about five minutes flat. Her favorite thing to make, however, were tapestries, big pieces of fabric art that you could hang on your walls. They were only for decoration... And they were so hard for most of the weavers to make that nobody but kings and the wealthy could afford them. But Arachne made them for fun and handed them out like party favors. So that's what made her very popular. 
Pretty soon, she got so famous for her work that even the nymphs left their woods and streams just to watch her work because her tapestries were even more beautiful than nature. One of the nymphs gasped, Arachne, you are amazing! Athena herself must have taught you how to weave! Now, this was a huge compliment. Arachne should have just nodded, said thank you, and let it go. Oh, but that was too easy to do. And Arachne was just much too proud of her own work. Athena? She snorted. I taught myself how to weave. The crowd began to shuffle nervously. But surely, one man said, you should thank Athena for your talent, since the goddess invented weaving. Without her, no tapestry for you! Arachne hit the man in the face with a ball of yarn. Weaving is my thing. If Athena is so great, she can come down here and test her skills against mine. We'll see who gets schooled. Well, you can guess what happened. Athena heard about this challenge. When you're a goddess, you really can't let somebody get away with calling you out like that. The next day, Athena descended to the earth, but rather than come in with spears blazing, she decided to visit Arachne in stealth mode and check things out. Athena was careful that way. She liked to get her facts straight and she believed in giving people a second chance. She knew that mistakes happened. She took on the shape of a feeble old woman and hobbled over to Arachne's hut, joining the crowd that had gathered to watch the weaver do just her thing. The mortal was good, no doubt about it. Arachne wove scenes of mountains and waterfalls, cities shimmering in the afternoon heat, animals prowling in the forests, and sea monsters so terrifying that they looked ready to leap out of the fabric and attack. Aragni churned out the tapestries with inhuman speed, flinging them into the crowd as prizes, firing them from her t-shirt cannon, making all the spectators happy with valuable parting gifts. The girl didn't seem greedy. She just wanted to share her work with the world. And Athena respected that. This mortal Arachne hadn't come from a rich family or had gone to a fancy school. She had no advantages, and she'd made something of herself from skill alone. Athena decided to give the girl the benefit of a doubt. The goddess pushed her way through the crowd and began to speak to Arachne as the young girl worked. You know, dearie, said old lady Athena. I may be old, but I've gained some wisdom with my age. Would you accept some advice? Arachne just grunted. She was busy with her weaving and didn't want any words of wisdom, but she said nothing. You're very talented. Athena continued, There's absolutely no harm in gaining the praise of other humans. You've earned it. But I hope you've given the goddess Athena proper credit for your talent. She invented weaving after all, and she grants talent to mortals like you. Arachne stopped weaving and glared at the old lady. <laughs> Nobody granted me anything, Grandma. Maybe your eyes have gone bad, but look at this tapestry. I made this. I don't need to thank anyone else for my hard work. Athena tried to keep her cool. You are proud. I see that. And rightly so. But you are dishonoring the goddess. If I were you, I would ask her forgiveness right now. I'm sure she would grant it to you. She is merciful to all who... Get lost, Grandma! Arachne snapped. Save your advice for your daughters and granddaughters and great-granddaughters. I don't need it. 
If you love Athena so much, go tell her to come find me and we'll see who owns the art of weaving. That was it. Athena's disguise burned away in a burst of light. The goddess stood before the crowd, her shield and spear gleaming. Athena has come, she said, and accepts your challenge. Pro tip, if you're immortal and a goddess appears right next to you, and if you want to survive the next few minutes, the proper thing to do is to fall on your face and grovel. The crowd did exactly that, but Arachne had guts. Of course she was terrified inside. Her face went pale, then flushed red, then turned pale again. But she managed to stand and glare at the goddess. Fine. Let's see what you've got, old lady. Ooh, said the crowd. What I've got? Athena shot back. The little girl from Lydia is going to show me how to weave. When I get through... This crowd's going to be using your tapestries for toilet paper. Burn, said the crowd. Oh, yeah, Arachne sneered. Huh, must have been dark inside your daddy's head if you think you can weave better than me. Zeus probably swallowed your mama just to keep you from getting born and embarrassing yourself. Snap, the crowd yelled. Oh, yeah, Athena growled. Well, your mama... The goddess took a deep breath. You know what? That's enough trash talk. It's time to weave. One tapestry each. Winner gets bragging rights. Uh-huh. Arachne put her fists on her hips. And who decides the winner? You? Yes, Athena said simply. On the river sticks, I promise a fair judgment. Unless you'd like these mortals to decide between us. Arachne looked at the terrified mortals and realized she was in a hopeless situation. Obviously, the mortals would decide for Athena, no matter how good Arachne's weaving was. They wouldn't want to get zapped into ashes or turned into warthogs for angering the goddess. Arachne didn't believe for a minute that Athena would be fair. But maybe gods really did have to keep their promises if they swore on the river Styx. As it turned out... Athena and Arachne's trash talk continued, but in the language of tapestries. Athena wove a scene of the gods in all their glory, seated in the council hall of Mount Olympus, as if to say, We are the best. Don't bother with the rest. She depicted the temples on the Acropolis of Athens to show how wise mortals should honor the gods. Then, for good measure, Athena wove little warnings into the cloth, if you looked closely, you could see all the different famous mortals who had dared to compare themselves to the gods and had been turned into animals or flattened into roadkill. Meanwhile, Arachne wove a different story. She depicted every ridiculous and horrible thing that the gods had ever done. She showed Zeus turning into a bull just to kidnap a princess. She showed Poseidon as a stallion chasing Demeter as a mare. And then poor Medusa... An innocent girl wooed by Poseidon turned into a hideous monster by Athena. She made the gods look stupid, evil, childish, and no good for mortals. And I'm sorry to say, she had a lot of material to choose from. When the tapestries were done, the crowd was absolutely silent, because both were amazing. Athena's was majestic and breathtaking and made you feel the power of the Olympian gods. Arachne's was the most scathing critique of the gods ever created, and it made you want to laugh and cry and get angry at the same time. 
but it was still beautiful. Athena looked back and forth between the tapestries, trying to judge which one was better. Now, some stories will tell you that Athena won the contest, but that's not true. In fact, Athena was forced to admit that the two tapestries were equally as amazing in quality. It's a tie, she said grudgingly. Your skill, your technique, your use of color, as much as I want to, I can't find any fault. Arachne tried to stand up tall, but the work had taken something out of her. Her hands hurt, her back was sore, and she stooped from the effort. What now then? A rematch? Unless you're scared. Athena finally lost her temper. She took the shuttle out of her loom, a length of wood like a square baseball bat. Now I do beat the crud out of you for insulting the gods. Whack, whack, whack. The goddess hit Arachne over the head as the mortal weaver scuttled around trying to hide. At first, the crowd was horrified. Then they did what humans often do when they're frightened and nervous and somebody else is getting a beating. They began to laugh and make fun of Arachne. Get her, Athena! One cried. Yeah, who is the boss now, little girl? Said another. The same mortals who had gazed in wonder at Arachne's work and had stood around her hut for days hoping for free tapestries now turned against her, calling her names and jeering as Athena hit her. Cruel? You bet. But if you ask me, that mob painted a picture of humans that's just as true and just as scathing as Arachne's tapestry about the gods. Finally, Athena's anger subsided. She turned and saw all the mortals laughing and pointing at Arachne, and Athena realized maybe she'd gone too far with the punishment. Enough! the goddess yelled at the crowd. Would you turn on one of your own people so quickly? At least Arachne had some talent. What makes you people so special? While Athena was occupied chewing out the crowd, Arachne struggled to her feet. Every part of her body hurt, but most of the damage was to her pride. Weaving was her only joy, and Athena had taken that away. Arachne would never be able to take pleasure in her work again. The townspeople she tried so hard to please had turned against her too. Her eyes stung with shame and hatred and self-pity. You might as well just end my mortal life now, Arachne said, rushing to the loom and gathering up a thick row of threads, enough to make a makeshift rope. Oh, pitiful child, Athena said. She was overcome with pity, but she also hated self-deprecation. I will not allow you to die. You will live on and weave forever. She changed Arachne into a spider. And from then on, Arachne and her children have continued to weave webs. Spiders hate Athena. And Athena hates them right back. But spiders also hate humans. Because Arachne never forgot her shame. And her anger at being ridiculed. So what's the moral of the story? The old preachy storytellers will claim. Don't compare yourself to the gods, because you can't be that good. But that's not true. Arachne was that good. So maybe the lesson is, know when to brag and when to keep your mouth shut. Or, sometimes life isn't fair, even if you're as gifted as Athena. Or maybe, don't give away free tapestries. I'll let you decide. Athena tore up the tapestries from that contest, as beautiful as they were. Because, honestly, I don't think anybody came away from that encounter looking very good.
Now, Athena was the type to be pretty merciful in most situations. The one thing she couldn't stand, however, were guys flirting with her. Which brings us to the story of her and Hephaestus. Okay, deep breath, because things are about to get really, really weird. So Hephaestus was the crippled blacksmith god. More on him later. Right now, all you need to know is that ever since he helped Athena get out of Zeus's forehead, he had had such a huge crush on her. This made sense, because they were both into arts and crafts. They were both deep thinkers and enjoyed solving mechanical problems. The problem was that Athena hated romance, and never even wanted to hold hands with a guy. Much less marry one. Even if Hephaestus had been handsome, Athena would have turned him down. But Hephaestus was definitely ugly. Like, grade-A industrial strength, ugly with an extra gross. He tried in his own way to flirt with her. Like, hey, want to see my hammer collection? And stuff like that. Athena power-walked away from him, but Hephaestus limped after her. Athena didn't want to scream and run, because she wasn't a helpless mortal girl or one of those silly pink princess goddesses who fainted and fluttered their eyelashes or whatever. She was a goddess of war. She just kept moving away from Hephaestus, snapping at him to leave her alone. Finally, the poor guy was sweating and panting like crazy, because it wasn't easy for him to move on his crippled legs. He flung himself at Athena, wrapping his arms around her waist. Please, he begged. You're the perfect woman for me. He buried his face in her skirt and sobbed and sniveled, and some of his godly sweat and snot rubbed off on her bare leg where the skirt was parted. And Athena was like, Ugh, gross. She kicked Hephaestus away and snatched up the nearest piece of cloth she could find. Maybe a handkerchief or a napkin or something. She wiped up the godly moisture off her leg and tossed the gross piece of cloth off Olympus, where it fluttered slowly down to earth. Then she ran away. That should have been the end of the story, but something weird happened to that piece of cloth. It contained the essence of both Athena and Hephaestus, and somehow, when it hit the earth, it grew into a mortal baby boy. Up on Olympus, Athena heard the baby crying. She tried to ignore it, but to her surprise, motherly instinct stirred inside her. She flew down to the earth and picked up the child. She understood how he had been born, and though the whole thing was still totally disgusting to her, she couldn't blame the little boy. I suppose technically you are my son, she decided. Even though I am still a maiden goddess, I will claim you as my own, and name you Erichthonius. She gets one chance to name a kid, and that's what she picks? Don't ask me. If I'm going to raise you, she continued, I should first make you immortal. I know just the thing. She got a wooden chest and put the baby inside. Then she created a magical serpent and put it in there too. By the way, this is really not something you should try at home. The baby boy Eric Thonius fell asleep contentedly with a snake curled around him. There, Athena said. A few days in that box, and the serpent will enhance your godly qualities. You will cease to be mortal, and you'll become one of the gods. 
She closed the chest and took it to the Acropolis in Athens, which was, of course, her most sacred place. She gave the box to the daughters of Cecrops, the first king of Athens. Don't open this box, she warned the princesses. It has to stay closed, or bad things will happen. The princesses promised, but only after one night, because they got curious. They were pretty sure they heard a baby in there, cooing and gurgling, and they were afraid the kid was in trouble. What kind of goddess puts a baby in a box? One of them muttered. We'd better check. The princesses opened the box and saw the snake curled around the baby. I'm not sure why it freaked them out so badly. Maybe they saw a godly light in there or something, but the girls went insane. They dropped the box and ran straight off the side of the Acropolis's cliffs, plummeting to their deaths. As for the baby, he was fine, but the spell was broken before he became immortal. The snake slithered away, and Athena came to cradle the child. She was raging mad, but since she couldn't scold the princesses, seeing as they were dead and all, she took out her vengeance on their dad, King Kekrops. Once Erichthonius grew up, he kicked out Kekrops and took over as the king of Athens. That's why the Athenian kings liked to say that they were descended from Hephaestus and Athena, even though Athena was an eternal maiden. So don't tell me Athena can't have kids, because there's the story that says otherwise.